Hello, friends. Welcome back to the City of Champions podcast, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Do you want a bank that doesn't keep you on the bench? ATB is a proud supporter of hockey across Alberta. From grassroots to pro, ATB helps teams across the provinces and the countless volunteers that make community hockey possible. Visit atb.com hockey to learn more. This week, I'm thrilled to have my uncle and godfather, Ken Lowe, join me on the podcast. Uncle Ken has spent the majority of his career as the head athletic therapist for two professional sports organizations. He joined the Edmonton Eskimos in 1982 and was a part of two Grey Cup championships with that team. Then, in 1989, he moved over to the Edmonton Oilers and won the Stanley Cup in his first year with the team which he has since been a part of for the last 30 years. Kenny is one of only a handful of people who has won both a Grey Cup and Stanley Cup, and that's absolutely one of the reasons that this year he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. But I suspect a big part of that recognition also stems from the profound impact he's had on the lives of everyone he's come in contact with, both professionally and personally. Kenny is a warm and gracious soul, and he puts the needs of everyone above his own, which has made him the best possible athletic therapist, father, son, brother, uncle, and godfather. Uncle Ken deserves all the good things in life that come his way, and I really, really hope that you enjoy my conversation with him. Uncle Ken, pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I've uh, I've been thinking about having you on for a while now, and and this year fear, feels as fitting as ever. It's been a big year for you. 60, yeah. Sixty-five. You got a Hall of Fame induction coming up. And I'm going to be a granddad. And a, and a granddad. Yeah. When's when's Amanda due? September. September tenth now and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny as all the years pass by. There's probably some that are less memorable than others but I'm sure it's rare that you get a year as full as this one for you uh you know I, I never looked back and, and really looked at to be honest with you I think just just keeps going on life just keeps going on as long as you're staying healthy and happy that's the most important part of it you know mm-hmm. I haven't really looked back I said well this was great you know this was great that was interesting because just life keeps moving on <laughs> Is there, have you done all the main things that you wanted to do in life? Have you checked most of the boxes? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I really don't have a, you know, a, a list of things I wanted to do, didn't want to do. I, I've been fortunate, you know, to, in, in the sporting world to, you know, to win or, or at least be involved in, in the major championships that, that these sports are involved in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I never I've really looked back and said, yeah, geez, I'd like to have done that like that. You know, um, I've been fortunate. I've won two Grey Cup championships and uh, I've been to two Stanley Cup, you know, and only winning one. If there's one thing I would like to do is, is uh, would have been to win a second one. And more because the enjoyment of winning that second one is you sit back and you watch the enjoyment of the people who've never done it. Right. Yeah. I know my younger brother probably saw it was his fifth when he, when I won my first, and mm-hmm. he probably enjoyed watching me. And that's something I had really, really wanted, would like to have done. Mm-hmm. Win that second one, to, just so that you could see the excitement that those kids have. I can remember in my 
my second grade cup standing out or going outside to the to the field at that BC place with you know Matt Dunnigan and, and Damon Allen and, and and just sitting there and talking about the, what it was like to win mm -hmm. you know and uh, I always remember that well it's so you, you know you've got three big league championship rings and, and an Olympic gold medal ring mm -hmm. and I noticed that it's the Olympic gold medal ring that you that you no it's not it's the World Cup the World I, Cup yeah it's the World Cup that I that I where most of the time all the time and it's the most asked of one because of the big uh canadian flag which and year was that one that's that 204 04 yeah 204 when we beat finland uh, mm -hmm. for that and that was the first world cup of Can uh, world cup of hockey that canada won right we, had, we lost in 90 98 against americans mm -hmm. so that was one yeah you know what as i said fortunate to be be in the right place at the right time. And you were there in 96? Or was that the one you lost? Yeah, lost in 96. 96. 96. And that was the first World Cup. So, mm -hmm. and that was the first uh, replacement to the Canada Cup. Mm -hmm. Became the World Cup. So right. we lost the 90, we, got, we lost to the Americans in the final game. Uh, we outshot them 41 to 19 and Richter stood on his head. Well, I want to get into all the, all the glory days stories of, of the sporting world but I, I'm fascinated I don't want to take this back a little bit I'm fascinated sort of by the differences in the way my generation and your generation grew up like mm -hmm. how different was it growing up in in Lachute compared to how kids are growing up nowadays in Edmonton or, or in other big cities around the world um I, I don't know if you take a look at it but I think it, you know like Back when I was growing up, you played sports for the fun of playing sports. Mm -hmm. Okay, your objective wasn't to make it to the National Hockey League. You know, if, if it was something that that you did, or you had the ability to great. Today's kids I see are being programmed mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to become an, an an excellent athlete, especially hockey. I mean, and Brent Sutter said it so so perfectly. Is today. Canadian kids are not hockey players or robots. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're 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 not athletes. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're hockey players. So when you say the difference uh, back then, you played all sports, you know, because hockey, hockey finished in March, and if you're real lucky, you're going in the playoffs in April. But you know that was it. There was there wasn't hockey schools. There wasn't you know mm -hmm. other leagues to go to. I think that's the biggest part. You know the the difference when now today kids are being really conditioned to to you know get into a sport or stay on a sport whatever it is, and I think they overdo it. Mm -hmm. But there is that sense that they're getting programmed, and maybe do you think a little bit of the joy is getting sucked out of? Oh, it? absolutely. Yeah, a abs absolutely. Yeah. You know, Wayne Gretzky always would say, you know, the kids gotta like it. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, you know, if he's not enjoying it, then. Don't play it anymore, right? You know, and and so yes, I think in many ways they're getting sucked out. I've said in many times, it's it's your female hockey player is your true hockey fan mm -hmm. because they're not going anywhere. There mm -hmm. there there's no leagues that they can go to. They're, they're just playing for the fun of playing the game. You see the younger boys, you know, play up to 13, 14th, and that's when you start falling off because mm -hmm. they, they start losing the love for the the game, you know. And because it been involved so much in it, mm -hmm. but could you say that maybe the, the the players winning today want it even more because they have because it's that much more competitive because they have to jump through so many more hoops to get there. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like back in the day, maybe '80s or even before that, there was some really talented players, but 
the the mean level of talent and skill on the team was not nearly as high as it is today, right? Like you had the superstars, but then you had a lot of people that were could have been replaceable or maybe just there because they were good athletes, yes. right? Or could punch faces in the case of Austin. Yes, and I, I think you're right. The, the, the players today are definitely more talented. Mm-hmm. They're more skilled, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and, and that's because of all the practicing they do. You know, I can never remember a player in all my days playing, being out there with a puck and just playing with it, you mm-hmm. know, and stuff like that. You know, you see them all out there, okay, uh, you know, working on their quote-unquote skills. I don't know if they've worked enough on their game skills, mm-hmm. okay, but their individual skills, some of these kids are just you know, astronomical what they can do. Right. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt of that. I remember watching a goaltending uh, class years ago and uh, at the uh, gym where I work, and and I can remember seeing, that you know they had these young kids going down in the butterfly, and I'm going like, I'm blown away by they couldn't skate, <laughs> yet they were having these kids go down in butterfly position. I'm going like, one of the greatest of them all, you know, you know, being uh, uh, Berdur, mm-hmm. Marty Berdur, he, he very seldom went down the butterfly, right. okay. And, and there you're seeing all these kids being programmed to be butterfly. I was really taken back by it. Yeah. You know? But, you know, that's that that's the, the skills that they're educating that day. But was Brodeur's uh, style a product of the time in that he learned just as the stand-up style yes. was dying and the butterfly was coming more into effect? Yes, and I think so. I yeah. think that's a little bit of it. And, and he combined it, you know, he combined both of <laughs> them. I mean... Uh, I love the story about Marty about ha- having the ability to to handle a puck mm-hmm. and him, him saying that he was 14 years of age when his dad who was a photographer who followed National Hockey League, had come back from the Stanley Cup playoffs and I I can't remember but I think it was Hextall who he had followed mm-hmm. and he was amazed by how Hextall had handled the puck and he told Marty this is what you have to do that summer Marty did all he did was, was in the back in the, <laughs> it was shoot pucks right. it was a goaltender you never did something like that. Well, one of the things about Marty Berdur is that you were you had trouble dumping it into their corner because mm-hmm. Marty could go in and scoop it out and shoot it right back out. Right. That's just a skill that that Marty picked up, you know, mm-hmm. simply from his dad. Yeah, it's it's there's kind of no stone left unturned when it comes to skills in hockey, right? Like you yeah. could kind of back in those days you could pick an advantage or you could pick something like I think we might be able to make a change here shift a style here and gain an advantage but as soon as you do that it gets replicated throughout the league oh, right just the pure exposure of everyone and everything Abs- right a- absolutely you know and and people are watching so closely I, I remember my my first Stanley Cup finals with with John Muckler and, and noticing that Ray Bork had difficulty going one way okay <laughs> turning one way and yeah. so you dump the puck always in that corner wow. okay because so Ray had trouble coming out of that corner that way it's things that they picked up and stuff like that and, it, and more and more it's now it's it's constantly being analyzed right so it's a, you know it went from from no one has an advantage to only the most skilled coaches and tacticians have the advantage to now it's it's just kind of accepted that everyone's going to analyze yeah. the crap out of everyone yeah and exactly and I think in some cases you over it's overdone and stuff like that because mm-hmm. most of your coaches, you're seeing analytics and all this talk about analytics. Analytics, and, and I laugh, was, was developed by Jim Corsi, mm-hmm. okay, who was my goaltender at university, <laughs> who is an engineer. Right. And, and he de- developed Corsi simply mm-hmm. because 
He wanted to see what was a work ratio for his goaltenders right. during a game. That's that's where Corsi started, you mm -hmm. know. And and like if he explained it properly, like a goaltender is always making move, whether the shots coming his way or not, whether it's deflected, whether it's but he's still making. And so Jim wanted to try to figure a ratio of what the work ratio was for his goaltenders during a game. Yeah. There you come with analytics nowadays. Right. You know? Now, was that back at Concordia or was that U of A? No, that was, I had Jim at, U, at, at uh, Concordia. Concordia. Yeah. So that was, that was a long time ago and that was when you were still playing, correct? Yeah. No, that's when I became the, the athletic trainer there. Right, because you played your first year. I played my first year. Right. Yeah. And, then, um, and then got into athletic training. Mm -hmm. um, so how was it going from playing all the time to, to not being able to play? Well, I didn't, I'd had no choice. Yeah, okay. but I mean, was that still hard on you? You know what? It wasn't. It wasn't hard on me because my neurosurgeon said I couldn't play anymore. That was it. Right. Okay. So it was. That was. You know, was no decision being made. Right. Book closed. Uh, move on. That's it. Okay. Because he said he wouldn't pass me uh, on a medical anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and he was really good about it because he said to me it was summer hockey. Uh, I'd, I'd gotten run over by a good friend and did bang my head, so I had to go back and see him. And, and he said, "How do you how do you feel?" And I said, "I really feel good. How about playing?" You, I said, "I'm playing some of the best. I really am confident. It's good because it's over for you." <laughs> I looked at him. I said, "Because I won't pass you anymore. You right. can't be banging your head around like that. You yeah. did have a severe head injury, and so I won't pass you anymore." Yeah. And so that was the end of my hockey career. Did you ever put on a pair of skates after that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for a long time, mm. you know, um, uh, and not because I didn't, I didn't mind, but it was a goaltender. I had goaltender skates, so you just didn't go back out there. And, and that's where I became in a, in a, you know, an athletic trainer. I got mm -hmm. interested, and really, it was my head injury that got me intrigued, intrigued in the in the, the field of athletic training. So, what was the learning curve like that first year? I mean, because had you what had you been studying before that? I had gone to university as as a hockey player, mm -hmm. um, basically, but <laughs> I was I was taking the the the, uh, the biophysical education degree at Concordia University in Montreal, and so the learning curve was was more that now uh, I was I, I'd gone from being a player to a trainer, right. okay, and you know the learning curve was that yeah there was a lot of things I had to learn from that perspective and stuff like that. I had a great uh, AT at the time, uh, you know, our athletic tr therapist was Gary Cummings, his name, and I'll always say that it was Gary who got me in the field, Gary who pushed me. It wasn't for Gary, I, probably, I don't know what I would have done. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it, it was intrigued by, by injuries. And, and and so I was the equipment manager mm -hmm. and the trainer. Right. I, you know, I sharpened skates, I did everything <clears throat> that, uh, you know, a trainer back there did. And so the learning curve, was um, I don't think it was it was it was it was a lot because I had done it for so many years when it came to injuries how you handle it and stuff like right. that just because I was an athlete because yeah. I played. Do yeah. you think do you think it helped you in that career having played for a lot of years and, and been in the position of the athlete? Mm, I'd I'd have to say yes because I understand the mentality of an athlete and stuff right. like that you, you know. Um, you know, and my position was as a goaltender, so you saw it from you know, from that perspective too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think you understand uh, how injuries occur because you've you've experienced them. Right. So from that point in which you were working with the university, then you made the jump to the CFL. Mm -hmm. um, what happened? How'd you get that call? 
I got that call because uh, of uh, my younger brother. Okay, knew that uh, I wanted to do my masters. He, mm -hmm. I knew, uh, he knew that I wanted to <clears throat> to uh, to uh, get out of Quebec. Was mm -hmm. that another move? We love. I loved Montreal. I will always love Montreal. Concord University is great, but the the PQ situation was getting worse. And, and uh, PQ, uh, yeah, party party Quebecois. Oh, is that back in when they were yeah. seriously pushing for, for separation? For separation. Yeah. yeah. You okay, know. so what was it like? Uh, I want to touch on that for a second too, because something I've never experienced. What was yeah. it like being? Because you guys were English speaking. Yes. Did you? All, did you? Because dad, yes. dad spoke French as well. Did you speak French? No. No. no I could get along, but Kevin, <clears throat> Kevin spoke. He was bilingual. Right. Okay. Uh, plus, you know, his first two years in Quebec with the ramparts, he lived with a family that didn't speak English. Oh, okay. So he had he got to, immersed, right? Yeah, yeah. He he had to learn French, but he was pretty good at at that, that point. I wasn't, and and the situation was with the with the government it was there, they were cutting closing schools. In fact, Concordia University used to be Loyola College. Mm -hmm. Okay, they were forced to uh, unite with Sir George William University. So Sir George William University, which had its charter, and Loyola College, which had its, its it, which had its charter, were forced by the government of Quebec to join. And that became Concordia University. They would only give one other English charter in the province, McGill University, and right. therefore the other one was was us. So that's where. So you could see the intensity of 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 the the PQ. The the language laws had come in. Uh, you could only you, you know if you had fifty people or more, you could be no communication in your office could be in English. It had to be in French. Oh yeah, yeah. people don't realize how bad it was until. You know, you sit back, sit back, and you read like what right. went on and stuff like that. The right. the 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 number of businesses that moved out of Montreal within a year was astronomical. Right. You know, they just said they can't work with the problem. So, from our perspective, I mean, we were an English university. However, our charter was being pressured, and so you know, I didn't want to be around that situation. My wife and I, in fact, um, the first um, the, the first. What was it? Vote for separation was four days before I got married, and I always remember that because Marianne Marianne's company had moved to Toronto, so mm -hmm. she was with her parents in Toronto, and she was coming back uh, to marry me on on May on May twenty fourth. Mm -hmm. The first uh, vote for separation was May twentieth, and I'm going like, okay, if the vote is yes for separation, she ain't coming back, right? You know, <laughs> and we won by one uh, percent. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So things would have been drastically different. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I can't imagine, like, those were mandates coming down from the provincial government. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, we've got governments, luckily, in Alberta, even though the population seems to be split and it's decisive who they think should be in power, no matter which side takes power, they still want the best for everybody, right? Yes. They're not saying, yes. you guys are our people and you're not our people. Yes. And and yet it's we still have divisions within the people. I can't imagine how bad it would have been with government-mandated divisions yeah. in, in people. Like, and, what and, was it like with just like the average Quebecois person? Well, you know, it was interesting because it depended upon where you were. Okay, mm -hmm. Montreal was, was English, okay? You know, Quebec City was French, mm -hmm. and and it was interesting to see because if you were, uh, if you were an English Quebecer, they wanted to know why you weren't speaking French. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you were a Westerner, English, you know, with English, they loved you. Mm -hmm. Okay, it was just that they wanted to, and it. it we had a close member of the family who who went to CJEP, you know, and the CJEP was a really the the 
the breeding ground for a lot of the separatism. And he was, he'd become a separatist. And, and it wasn't until he got out of Sijep and he got a job that he said, you know what, you speak the language of the dollar. That's what it is. <laughs> you want to sell something yeah. and they're Chinese, you speak Chinese. Right. Okay? <laughs> you speak the language of the dollar. And yes. it took him that, you know, to, to, get, to get with American company to realize that's the way it is. Yeah. Okay. And that's reality. You know, so that's one of the reasons we got out. But Kevin knew I wanted to get out. Right. And he, and, and he had, uh, the, the Eskimos and the Oilers had, had been very close at that point. And uh, so Kevin knew that the, the, the medical trainer was, was leaving. Well, he was, a, he was in um, uh, medical school. Mm -hmm. Jim Adams was his, was his name. And uh, he, was, he, was, he, was, he had been in his third year of medical school. He, had, had an, he did not want to continue on with the job, but Hugh Campbell, the head coach, had brought him here. And Hugh had had him from day one. As Hugh was a coach, he had Jim Adams at high school, mm -hmm. okay, college, and then he brought him up here with him to right. pro. And so there was a real, you know, a real layback attitude with, with Hugh and he wanted Jim. Jim finally had said that was enough. And, and just once again, just the trainers knowing each other, Kevin here, mm -hmm. you know, they let me know and applied and, and that. Mm -hmm. But my first meeting with Hugh Campbell, my first interview, he said to me right out of the button, he says, I'll tell you right now, he says, you and your brother are extremely close, I sense. He says, yeah. He says, that's not good for you because he says, brothers talk and what goes on in the Eskimo dressing room stays in the Eskimo dressing right. room. So that was my first interview going like, hmm, well, this is looking at all that well. <laughs> Is it an interview or a lecture, basically? <laughs> that you're right. Yeah. So, But the thing that had impressed Hugh, mm -hmm. okay, is that season, the 1981 season, I uh, can't remember the kid's name anyways, he was killed in a car accident just after the Great Cup on his way home. Okay. After winning the Great Cup. And... Uh, uh, what impressed Hugh was Kevin and Gretz had attended the funeral, mm -hmm. and that impressed Hugh right. that they could take the time and stuff like that. So I think that opened the door, the door a little bit for me. So when you were at Concordia, were you just dealing with the hockey program, or no. were you doing all I was, sports? I was head. I was okay. head athletic. Okay, practice. so you would have dealt with football players yeah. before. So coming yeah. coming to the Eskimos, what you you had some familiarity of football? Yes. Okay, because yeah. that was a big question for me. Is like how different are the two sports? When it comes to treatment, when it comes to maintenance, and it's there's a there, there's a big difference, yeah, big big difference. And I tell people if, if if you take a garbage bag and you put soccer and basketball and hockey and, and baseball and you shake it around, you got football, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> okay, if you don't see it in football, it doesn't happen, right? If you don't become if you, if, if you don't do football, you're not a trainer. I always say that, okay, and because uh, so much it's so much different. I remember Jackie Parker, our head coach, who was one of the, who's you know the legendary Jackie Parker who's one of the very few people who are in the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame who's American mm -hmm. okay I remember asking Jackie I said Jackie if we play an 80 game 82 game schedule how many teams would we go through would we go through he said six. Oh, comparing football to, to yeah. hockey yeah he yeah it's six. just that taxing on the body yeah and 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 if you stop and think Shane every play and if a perfect play is run, there should be only one person left standing on the field. And that's the ball carrier. Yeah. It never happens, but that's why, because every play, mm -hmm. there's contact. Mm -hmm. Okay. From the O-line to the DBs to the running back, there's always contact. Mm -hmm. You can go through a hockey game and you don't see a hit. Right. You know? Yeah. But they also played two games. My comparison to football, I'd always say, is that 
you know, playoff hockey is equivalent to a football game. Right. That's that's equivalent. So, so it's yeah, it, it's a big difference, and, mm-hmm. and and I love doing football. You know, I never played the game, but mm-hmm. I, I love doing football as a trainer. If people ask me, that was that would be my favorite sport. But you're telling me before the podcast that you had a collection of players from all over the place because you'd have Americans, you'd have Canadians. So, it what was it like? Did you ever have to deal with bringing these guys together at all, or was that more the coach? Like, were you kind of like a separate faculty of the team where it's like, no, no, we come, this is a safe place. Like the nurse's office yes. in high school, right? Yes, like, absolutely. <laughs> like everyone's like, it's immunity in the nurse's absolutely. office. You know, it was so intriguing to come out here and, and to especially <clears throat> to work with a championship team like the Eskimos. Uh, they had they had their um, their leadership. Okay, and and they were such a close unit. That's one thing about it. I remember Kevin. Okay, in twenty in uh, two thousand, uh, when he spoke at the um, Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, he he said then that the Oilers learned, okay, how to win through the Eskimos, through the relationship with the Eskimos. Back then, after every game, the following day after, the team got together at the Grand, that was a hotel, and, mm-hmm. and it was mandatory. Mandatory. Everyone showed up. Really? Okay, yeah. And that's the unity they have. A lot of it was led by an individual named Danny Ray Kepley, and a great linebacker, one of the greatest linebackers to play the game mm-hmm. up here. Uh, Danny's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he was such a leader, okay, that whatever Danny said went. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I remember Danny's first season, my first season with him. He called me kid all the time. He was, I was two years younger then, but I was a kid. You were what, twenty seven when you started yeah. with the team. He uh, he dislocated his shoulder during training camp and wouldn't say anything about it. Okay, <laughs> he collided with another player, Marco Sinkar, and I go running out to him, and and, and uh, he says, "Go see Marco, go see Marco." So I help Marco off the field, and I'm just checking him, and I go back and. He said, I'm fine, I'm fine, kid, I'm fine. And uh, uh, the next morning he comes in before practice, he can't lift his shoulder. Everyone else has gone the field. He's all dressed. He said, hey, kid, I got a little problem here. Couldn't lift his shoulder. <laughs> We're playing our, our first exhibition game the next day in BC. Okay? And I go running out to Hugh, and, and Hugh said, I'll talk to Danny. So mm-hmm. he goes and talks to Danny. Danny finishes practice. He practices, okay, with not able to lift his arm. Right. So now we fly to BC, and I'm as my first professional football game. It was an exhibition, so we're carrying about fifty players, you know, more than usual, and not more than usual, but about fifty players. Usually, lineup was thirty nine players. Mm-hmm. And uh, Danny came to me, and he said on the sidelines, he goes, "Hey, hey kid, now what?" Yeah, he says, um, "Just you need to learn something." I said, "What's that?" I said, "I don't miss games." <laughs> and I go, "Okay, Dad, seriously, you can't lift your shoulder." He said, "No, no, you're not listening to me." I do not miss games, mm-hmm. and he walked away. Halfway through that season, Danny was struggling with his with with his play, right. and Hugh Campbell came in to sit down with the head doc, one of our team doctors, Doctor Dick Cherry, one of the smartest individuals that I've ever come across in the health field. And he said to us, he said, "So, do you uh, do you think uh, sitting Danny out a little bit of time would help?" And we'll say, "Absolutely, get that shoulder down and get the swelling out." Uh, you know, and uh, he said, okay, good, you tell him. And he walked out. <laughs> Dr. Cherry and I looked at each other. He goes, I guess he's playing. <laughs> you know? uh, Dr. Dr. Cameron, who was our orthopod, operated on Danny two days after that great cup. And he said when he put him under anesthetic, he, the shoulder basically slid out. 
That's how badly it was stretched. Right. Yeah. So what would it have just been popped back into place, but yeah. never allowed to heal properly because no. he's playing the game and, every and week. And it was so by so his point was so loose, so loose. Right. So at any time he used that arm, stretched <laughs> out that arm, it would come out. Right. You know? Would there have been any permanent damage from that season? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But if you if you ever are lucky enough to get Danny Kepley's book, mm-hmm. it's it's a front page. The page the cover of it is just his fingers, and his mm-hmm. fingers are just distorted. Right. Them. Yeah. He Danny, I go down as the toughest athlete I ever that I ever dealt with. I mean, just to play that sport, you gotta have an exceptional threshold for pain and tolerance. I, I and think. Any sport, any pro sport, you have to have some tolerance of pain. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't get up into pros without being able to play with, with pain. Okay, let's play, play with discomfort. I don't mm-hmm. want to say play with, you know, play with pain. I don't think you get out. Even every sport, you have some, you know, some coming along. There's some injury you're going to suffer, and you, you know, you're going to have to, you know, suck it up to play. Mm-hmm. That's part of pro sport. Jeez. So you won Grey Cup the first year, mm-hmm. and then you had one uh, several years later, eight years later. In yeah, I, I went to the Grey Cup again in 86, and we got our, our butts kicked, and then we went back in 87 and won second time. What's what, what's that like, getting to the, the final, getting the pinnacle of, of, of greatness, and then and then having a loss? I mean, how, do you, how does everyone handle it, and how do you handle it? Everyone handles it different. I, you know, I I remember the thing that I always tried to do is is after every season just go around the room, whether it was a championship game or not, and just thank every one of those players. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so everyone is everyone is different. I mean, it, the thing I found different, really different, was coming going over from hockey, which I've been involved in in years playing, from football, and in football you you play once a week and you prepare for that and mm-hmm. that's the thing about football you prepare for the game okay and then all of you play the game and and then you have that day to either enjoy it, relax stuff like that and then the second day you're back at you know treating and stuff like that and and for me from an AT the challenge was okay we played on Sunday these are my injuries am I going to be able to get these guys to play mm-hmm. the following weekend and that was a challenge with me okay the, the the fun about it when you get to hockey you play the game and you're playing the game two nights later so right. you, you never really got to enjoy that victory okay mm. because you're moving right on to another one that's the difference I found in championships in championships from both leagues right it's not really getting the chance to, to enjoy it and that goes back to what I said earlier is is winning a second time you're able to sit back and enjoy What's going on? Enjoy the win. Seeing the right. kids who who have never won and how exciting that is and stuff like that. That's the difference mm-hmm. in both sports. But you know, losing yeah, it's it's part of it's 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 part of of, of uh, the game. Yeah, because in football, every regular season game obviously means a lot more than mm-hmm. a, a a hockey regular season yeah. game. But what would be more painful to you? Would it be getting to to the Grey Cup and losing in the Grey Cup, or getting to Game Seven? Of the Stanley Cup final and losing Game Seven, Game Seven, Game Seven, Game Seven, because it's just you, so much it's, more. It's so much. It's two, two and a half months. Yeah. of grind. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still think you know, winning a Stanley Cup is the toughest ch- trophy to win. Mm-hmm. Okay, people might disagree with me, but it's 
it's like a football, you know, it's like three football seasons put together, right. you know, just constantly pounding, 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 stuff like that. The ups and the downs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you're going every second day, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't even get a chance to recover from it, whatever bumps and bruises you have. So yeah, that's, that, that's the, the toughest is, is to lose. How closely do you follow the, the NHL now? Like you've Not been watching much. these playoffs at all? No. No? I, I, I watch it when the uh, when it goes in overtime. Yeah. I love overtime. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, fan of Big Joel mm-hmm. Thornton. Um, just so because you, you Joel's... You worked with him, right? I worked with him, and he's such a classy individual. Yeah. You know, and so I cheer for him so much. The training staff with San Jose, San Jose Sharks are the nicest people. You'll mm-hmm. meet them, my closest friends and stuff mm-hmm. like that in the hockey world. So I'm constantly cheering for them. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Yeah, I think that it'd be cool to see them win. It, they... They labeled. They're labeling the four teams remaining with uh, with with something to cheer for, right? So it was, it was. Um, St. Louis has got seventeen Canadians, and and yeah, seventeen Canadians. San Jose's got Joe Thornton, who we all love and want to see yeah. win a cup. Yeah. Uh, Carolina's the bunch of jerks, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Boston is really has no redeeming quality other than they're an original <laughs> six team, I guess. <laughs> That's sort of how Jay and Dan went on sports. <laughs> sports well, I, I look at uh, San Jose, St. Louis also, because their trainer is a really good friend too. <clears throat> but, uh, and uh, Craig Bruby, I had him too, mm-hmm. the chief, you mm-hmm. know, and, and he's such a crazy, classy guy. So I won't have, you know, be down if they, if they beat, San, you know, San Jose, but my, my, I've got mum, cheering for sounds yeah too, really know? why because of joe just because of joe yeah, yeah just because <laughs> you know she you know she she just heard me talk about him and, and you know what it's interesting because when you talk about joe uh you li- just least listen to her trainers okay mm-hmm. and he's such a leader but by not saying a lot just right. when joe walks in and stuff like that yeah you know, it's, it's big deal they say there's there, there's gonna be a real change when he's not in that dress room anymore yeah, it's unreal that they stripped the captaincy of him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's such a weird play. And for him to just accept it and be such a team guy. Well, and, and, and in some ways, Joe saw it coming and thought it was good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it took pressure off him and, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just Joe. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so what, you know? So going from the, from the Eskimos to... Because you, you won a great cup in 89? No, 70, uh, 78. So no, I won 82 and... 87. 82 and 87. 82 and 87. So then you, you went to the Oilers um, in 89. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Was it because you were obviously stepping away from a championship team that had won two in the time that you had been there, but into another team almost on a bigger global stage that had just won four mm-hmm. in the last six years? Yeah. You know, I never thought of it from that perspective. Right. I never thought of championships and stuff like that. I, 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 my more excitement was I was going to work with my brother. Right. You know, and and that was a, I. I didn't foresee winning a cup or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you know, you f- figure take a look at we're in eight spot. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we just made it in towards the end. Yeah. You know, Billy Rafford went on a hot spill, mm-hmm. and and there we. We won the Stanley Cup. Well, give us the context to that because they won the fourth one in '88, but yeah. that summer Wayne gets traded. Mm-hmm. So you're coming into a team that's a year off from having Wayne. Yeah. So Mark's now the guy there. Yes. Um, and you come in, and and who else is left from those earlier championships? 
There was a number of them. Uh, you know, you had Glenn Anderson, you had uh, Yari Curry, you mm-hmm. had Charlie Hattie, you had Shearzy, you had... Uh, uh, you still had a good allotment of them, Craig Muni. Uh, so you still had like five feature Hall of Famers. Oh, on yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they were, they were, they were pretty good. they were pretty good. And they knew how to win. Mm. You know, that was the other thing. They, they never panicked. Right. You know, they, they knew how to win. And that, that was the difference. They remember those statements, you, you never lose two in a row. Yeah. You know, there's stuff like that they did, and and it's it's childish statements that you hear them make, and you go like, yeah, that's that's the philosophy. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I never foresaw championships. You know, like because you all of a sudden you're into the season and you're gone, okay? right? And 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 you're just going from game to game to game, and all of a sudden now we're in the now we're in the playoffs, and you know I always remember those series you know we you know started off with being down three to one to Winnipeg and and you know coming back to take that series in seven games mm-hmm. you know and then, and that got us on a roll you know and and there again John Muckler always made the statement it's not the team best team that wins it's a team that is playing the best that wins interesting yeah yeah you remember I used well to we saw that with Tampa Bay obviously mm-hmm. right yeah, this year exactly who would um the Oilers of that your era, that well, that part of that era, who would you most compare them to in current times? What team? That team. You know they had so many great players. That's 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 the difference. You'd have to look at Tampa Bay mm-hmm. and and go back and look at 1982. The Oilers mm-hmm. had a, a phenomenal season and then got beaten by the Kings in seven games. Right. In, in, excuse me, in five games. It was three out of five series. Mm-hmm. They were up five nothing. Yeah, miracle of Manchester. Miracle of Manchester. Yeah. You know, so it's. I think you learn. Okay, uh, how to win. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the the old comment that you keep keep hearing. Them talk about Gretz and Kevin walking by the Islanders' dress room and saying, you know, and seeing all the ice packs and seeing mm-hmm. all the players like that and saying, that's what it takes to win. And right. yes, that's what it takes to win. But also take a look in that training room and see there's a lot of older players. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, they're beat up a little bit more than you're because you got a bunch of young whippersnappers, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that who are learning, who are learning how to win. Mm-hmm. Who, um, who in that first year that you were with the Oilers, who was a guy that was kind of not given as much of the spotlight that you felt could have deserved a little more of the credit? I, I'll always say it, I'm, it's prejudice. Mm-hmm. Well, my younger brother, he is such a leader, mm-hmm. you know, in the dress room. Uh, and that's just not coming from me. That's coming from other players. That's coming from when he was in the Rangers, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, you, you know, uh, some other players saying that during their run to the cup, okay, it was you always, okay. Mark was, Mark was leader, mm-hmm. but Kevin was the quiet leader. And and um, oh, I'm trying to think. If there's his name. He was their head coach at the time. Uh, in in New York. In New York, Keenan. Yeah, but his assistant. Oh, he was head coach later on. Anyways, he tells the story of uh, that cup run. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they have just lost the they. They just, they, the game was just tied, okay, with a seconds left to beat the beat New Jersey, okay, and they had to go into overtime, mm-hmm. and they had dominated that game. They had held that game all night, but Berdaro stood on his head, right, and oh, Colin Campbell, that's what I'm trying to think, Colin Campbell, and Colin Campbell says, he tells me the story. He says, I'm walking back to the dressing room, 
And I'm going like this. They've just had their heart pull out from from them, and they got to go back out. This is game seven, mm-hmm. you know. And and Mike Keenan was not the type to go in raw, 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 you know, uh, you know. And and Colin saying to himself, like, I gotta, I gotta say something. Something's gotta be said. He comes around the corner. You can hear Kevin walking around the ping, their ping pong table and going, "Okay, boys, there it is. You know what it's like. <laughs> Seventh game, Stanley Cup. Who's gonna go out there and win? Who's gonna go out and be the winner for yeah. us? Stuff like that." And Colin said, "I didn't have to say anything." I just went because he said your brother was mm-hmm. that leader in the dressing room. Mess right. did it on the ice, but Kevin did it in the dressing room. That's all. That's the redeeming part about that is even though the public doesn't know that, you know that the guys that were all there all know that. Exactly. Right? It's, it's undeniable yeah, to them. It's exactly. Yeah. You know, and that, that and that's you know that's all my younger brother appreciates. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. I don't know if he's ever said to you, but his biggest. Well, thing that he's proud of to say of 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 the the six Stanley Cups is that there's only five players mm-hmm. who've got six Stanley Cups that weren't Montreal Canadiens. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's, there's twenty two who are Montreal Canadiens and five others who are who are not. That's unbelievable. So that's you know, that's one of his you know things that he's proud of. But mm-hmm. he's not that type to talk about it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know? What um what were some of the big changes you had to get used to going back to hockey from from football? Uh, I don't I don't think there was many changes. You know, the, 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 the you know injuries are injuries. Yeah. Okay. You know you know um, body parts heal the same way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what body you know. The difference I think in football is that in football you're expected to lose two to three to four players for the season. Right. That's the difference. Okay. Where hockey, you know, you don't usually lose a player for the season. So mm-hmm. even in shoulders injuries, you, you know, you usually wait till the season's over to have them done and stuff like that. I think that was the biggest difference. But it's, you know, there was, if you, if there was a difference, it was more like, okay, well, I got an injury today. Um, I don't worry about tomorrow because we're going to bring someone else up. Where right. in football, it was a challenge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can I get that guy ready? Now, when we got in the playoffs in hockey, that's when I felt it was like football because I got to get this guy ready. I right. Like, but I only got a couple of days. Right. Know, and try to think of all the different ways that you could, you could help to speed up the healing process. Yeah. So what were the um, what were the big tools of your time? Are there things that have been mainstays in, in athletic training, um, or is it like like the fitness industry now, where there's things that come in yeah. vogue all yeah. the time? And that and that's it. And, and the thing is, what comes and what comes goes around. You know. I think the thing is, and, and though I'm hearing now, I'm not being in anymore, is that ice is now becoming, uh, you know, uh, um, not as effective. Icing it's, something? Yeah. And and I I will get up on table and, and argue that day in, day out, okay? Because um, you can't hurt yourself icing. You mm-hmm. can hurt yourself ice with heat. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I've seen, I've seen that happen many times before, you know? And my whole philosophy was, is, is let the body heal, but heal it on its own, mm-hmm. okay? And so I would ice and, and then exercise, and, and the exercise would tell me, okay, um, how effective it was. And you got all these modalities out, you know, all these laser and this and that stuff. Mm-hmm. What warms up the body more than anything else? A simple exercise, right? You know, and so I would use exercise as one a means of strengthening the body, the part that's injured, but it also would be my gauge. Can this guy go? Right. Okay. If he can't do the stairs for me the day after game, 
he ain't going to be ready, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, that's how I, that's how I, but, you know, it's changed now too in, in the players themselves, understand. Um, and so they're holding themselves back mm-hmm. a little bit more and stuff like that. Uh, um, Do you get less of the, I'm just going to play through it no matter what it is mentality I, nowadays? Yeah, I can't say that because I haven't been around for mm. eight to 10 years, but talking to trainers now, it's, yeah, you know, you know, you know your players who are going to play through whatever it is they have, something mm-hmm. like that. And I think in, when I had the job, it was more of my responsibility to not let them play. Right. Okay. Saying like you were the reins, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Doctor Cameron and I had a real good philosophy. He was our orthopedic surgeon, and we had a very simple rule. It was a butt rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if the player said, "Yeah, I'm ready," but Okay. And we explained to them is that you have to be 100% confident. Yeah, that body part is not 100%, but mm-hmm. you have to be 100% because mm-hmm. if you go out thinking about that body part, okay, you're going to hurt something else. Right. Okay, you're not going to really hurt that body part. You're going to hurt something else. So it was a very simple rule. Okay, it was a butt rule. If he doesn't feel comfortable, okay, if he said butt, then you're not ready. You have to be 100% ready to go back out there. How big is the mental obstacle when coming back from a big injury? Oh, it's it's, so it's like knee surgery or ankle surgery. Or it is. Like it's 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 a major major part of it. It's it's all part of it. Okay, and I used to say I used to say to players, you're not rehabbed until you get knocked on your ass and you get back up. And you go, oh, it's still there. <laughs> then you're rehabbed. Right. Okay. Because all along you're going to be questioning. So that so major major, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, Pepper from uh, the Green Bay Packers, Burris's name, Pepper Burris's name, he said something like that was so intriguing years ago. He says, Kenny, we don't really make them better. And he says, our Lord makes them better. We're just entertainers to entertain them while he makes them better. <laughs> and I went, you know what, Pepper, you're so right. Right. You know. It's just kind of that divine intervention, but you're just, the, you're the conduit for that. Exactly. That's you know? interesting. Yeah. Who's the toughest uh, hockey player? You heard the toughest football player you ever worked with. Who's the toughest hockey player? There's a bunch. There's a bunch, but there again, I, I know I would be prejudiced if I, you know, say Kevin, but Kevin was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin was. He played a lot of. Okay, you got to give us one that's not your brother. Jason Smith. Yeah. Ryan Smith. Yeah. yeah. Ryan Smith. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I guess he did get his teeth knocked out. Oh, yeah. Smitty. Smitty. <laughs> Smitty. Okay. Smitty broke his ankle on November first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was back playing, okay, November, uh, December 17th. Mm-hmm. So, it, obviously not fully healed. No. Dr. Reed, had what Dr. Reed had done that night, he realized that if Mitty was not back playing by January, early January, he would not be going to the Olympics. Right. Smitty knew that, mm-hmm. okay. So, that night, he operated on him that night, mm-hmm. okay. He, uh, Smitty had fractured his fibula, so he went in and he put a plate in there with six screws. Mm-hmm. And then he told Smitty, we're going to x-ray this every week to make sure the screws are not moving, okay? And we're throwing out the medical books, mm. okay? We're going to go simply by pain and swelling. We had Smitty up and skating 14 days, okay? That's unreal. You don't do that without having a incredible pain tolerance and stuff like that. He went to the Olympics. At the end of, the, at the end of that season, Dr. E went in and took the plate and screws out and stuff like that, Okay. So he's very tough. Uh, Smitty was uh, Jace, Jason Smith. He was, he was like that. I used to say if 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 Smitty asked for the asked for a doctor, I'd call nine one one. 
<laughs> he, he played with that just that right. pain threshold but there's a lot of little you know like I, I, once again as I said before Shane I don't think you get the pro with having good pain tolerance I used to say there's being having a pain tolerance and have, being an idiot mm. and I'll say right here Danny Ray Kepley was an idiot right you know, with what he would play with and stuff like that and, and I was fortunate not to be in those situations you know, uh, but the days before I came along, what he played with fractured jaws, infected arms, and stuff like that, just, you know, yeah. Jeez. So going to the Olympics, you're dealing with players that you don't know, or going to the World Championships, yeah. working with Hockey Canada in general. You're you're exposed to all these players you don't know. How, how big of a challenge is that then to go in and have to be an athletic therapist, you know, out of your, out of your element, basically? You know what? Players, especially hockey, are are good time Canadians. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're just comfortable stuff like that they appreciate what you do. Um, you know, um, the the one thing that I've always been proud of is is the is the the philosophy that Barry Stafford had installed in everyone that our dress room was the best there ever be, and so that so so all the players were comfortable because of seeing what the team had done and being with. So it was never there was never ever uh, um, a problem with the players of, of like that. You know, uh, one of my greatest thrills and people ask me about greatest thrills was at the Olympics, and it was Mario Lemieux. So Salt Lake go to Salt Lake, and Mario. If you remember, we lost that in the first game against Sweden. We we had dominated them, but for about an eight minute period in the second period, Cujo fell asleep on us. Anyways, we lose that game. We're going into play two two nights later, mm -hmm. playing Germany. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mario had had this issue with his hip. Okay, he missed more a lot of the season prior with hip issues and stuff like that. And the question was whether Mario was talking about going back to Pittsburgh to get another injection in his hip, okay? And I had created, not created, but I had an ice pack that I brought over from football. It was, a, it was a type of ice pack that encompasses the whole area. And Mario had seen this. So I was icing Mario all mm -hmm. the time. And he had, his own, he had his own massage therapist, so he did everything else. All I did was put an ice pack on there. Mm -hmm. And he came to me, and I was, as I was putting on the ice pack, okay, the question was, sh should Mario go back for the injection um, or play against Germany. And he asked me, he says, what do you think? And I remember looking up and I'm going, oh my God, it's Mario. Yeah, it's gonna be all six foot six of him or whatever he is. I said, Mario, the best answer is I could give you is that if you were an Edmonton Oiler, my answer to you would be, my question to you would first be, when was the last time you played back-to-back -back games? And he said, not in a long time. I said, so... You think you should play against Germany. If we can't beat Germany without you, okay, we shouldn't be here. Okay? <laughs> he didn't play that game. Yeah. Okay, Next night we played the, the, the Czechs and he mm -hmm. scored two goals. Nice. I'll always remember that looking up and going, Mario's asking me. Yeah, you know, and you had the answer ready to go. Well, I was, I, I think, the old school figuring it out, but I always will remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, like you said, you've been right place at the right time a lot, but you got to be ready when that when that yeah, moment I strikes, guess, and you have been. So I guess, I guess you're right. What, how did he react? Did he laugh? Did he? Did he? No, nod no, his he head. He goes, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And did I, he go I back? Never to, said, never said anything, stuff like that. Then the next day, we found out he wasn't dressing, and so I went. Did he go get the shot? No. no? no. Okay. He didn't get the shot. Just didn't play back the back to back games. 
That was that was a stacked team. That O two. Yeah. That was like, were you a little bit starstruck? Like, not only was it Mario, but who else was there? Steve Eiserman. He's my toughest guy there. Stevie. Why is that? He, he was just. If you can remember, I don't know if you remember the year those playoffs where he got knocked down, he couldn't get back up. He had to use his stick to. Oh yeah. To get help him back up. So that that knee was mm-hmm. was so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like we would treat that knee with just with ice and trying to get the swelling down and. Never said boo. Never, never said boo. I mean, Joyce Saki was the MVP for us, but in my, in my heart, uh, Stevie I was 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 my my. Lead. There was other episodes with I had with Stevie though. I had with Stevie in um, uh, the World Cup ninety in uh, ninety six. Ninety six, yeah. And we had uh, when I say we Team Canada had selected just the team with a few fringe players. Okay, mm-hmm. just. They didn't want to be cutting players, mm-hmm. okay? This was going to be the team, but there would be a few guys, okay, that they would be letting go, okay? And so we played the exhibition exhibition games, and then we were going to go be playing uh, three and four nights mm-hmm. uh, going back east. And Hugh called, no, Hugh, but Glenn Saylor was, calls me, and he says, so listen, he says, you got to come with me. We've got to talk to Stevie and Ronnie Francis, okay? Because he said, i gotta, I got to let two guys, i got to let someone go. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ronnie had played, we had played the night before in San Jose, and he got cross-checked right in the rib cage, right by us. So he was hurting. So, so it was just Slats and I and Ronnie Francis. And, and he's, Ronnie says right off the bat, okay, so Slats, are you planning on going with four lines? Are you planning on going with three in the specialty line? And Slats said, okay, you know, Ronnie, we've got three and four. got to go four lines. Mm-hmm. Ronnie said, I can't go then. He says, I, I can't play shift, normal shift. I'm having trouble breathing now. It's, it's not fair. Ronnie had never been on Team Canada. No okay. way. No. He stepped down. Jeez. Okay. Now it's Stevie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Stevie was had was having problems. Had, camp was just average, but he was having a little bit of difficulty with his knee. Mm-hmm. And uh, That early on in his career? Yeah. Wow. Yes, yeah. And uh, he had major surgeries done afterwards to let him continue playing. Um, but anyways, he... You know, I'm sitting there, with, and Slats has said to me, "So we got to build this up. We got, you know." And uh, Slats right off the bat said, "Listen," he says, "Stevie, you're, you, you know, you're, you're struggling out there a little bit. I know, and stuff like that. And, and you know, your knees bothering you. You know, and, and this is before the season's even started. And, and you know, maybe be smart that you know maybe you take some time off before training camp and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and 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 then he throws it back at me. You know, and, and what do you think, Ken? I go, well, Steve, you know, your your knee is." Is swelling up and stuff like that. He turns around and he says to Slats, Slats, I have never played for Team Canada. And I don't give an F yeah. what happens to me. I want to play for Slats looked at him and says, you're on the team. Yeah. I'll always remember <laughs> that. You know? You know? Slats is a guy that he's touched so many players' lives, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like just from behind the scenes, like he's always sort of been that Wizard of Oz, you know, just helping people controlling things and never really got the spotlight a lot no, never been never been and a number of players that he took care of afterwards mm. okay uh you know he's he you know he was, he's, he was a godfather what uh what's some what's one of your most memorable moments with slots or some one of the most important lessons that he ever <laughs> taught you because he was big on lessons right oh yeah 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 slats he had the confidence. I think he had the, the, the confidence in, in 
in me. Uh, negotiating with him was fun, but it was it was we weren't negotiating. He was going to give us he's what it was. Play, so, he was yeah. playing. With oh yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And I know you saw we say that, um, you know. But you know, I think one of the my fondest memories with Slats was negotiating a contract a number of years ago, and uh, and. Uh, um, it, it became over an injury and and uh, I had always said and, and my coaches know that um, if you over overrule me on a head injury mm-hmm. I resign on the spot mm-hmm. okay and that season Jason Arnott had had two injuries two concussions and the second one we were keeping him out and the second one had taken place in Dallas and we were flying into Toronto and stuff like that. And it was just a mild one, but he had only suffered one just a couple of weeks before. And the doctors there, had, and one of the things I always believed is I have to be there, okay? Because players don't hear what they mm-hmm. say. They just want to hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was a little upset with it down in Dallas because I like Dr. Cooper. He's really good. But he had gone and seen, you know, uh, Jason with me on the bench with Arnie. I always call him Arnie. And, and he told me he shouldn't play for 30 days. And I went, okay, now he's put this into his mind. He can't play. Mm-hmm. You know, we fly into Toronto. And uh, um, i trying to think of the coach name is, at that point was with us. He was only with us for a short period of time. Uh, Slats ended up letting him, letting him go. Anyways, doesn't matter. He comes to me and uh, we're in Toronto. He's okay, on Saturday night hockey. And he comes in before the morning skate and... Uh, he said, I just want to let you know, Slats, I had breakfast with Slats this morning. He said, it's Arnie's playing to me. Mm. And I said, well, coach, you know that if Arnie's playing, I'm resigning. Mm. So that's the bottom line. So Arnie comes in, and he not, doesn't go out from Arnie's gate. He doesn't play, mm-hmm. okay? We come home and stuff like that. So that summer, I'm negotiating, okay, with Slats, okay? And and uh, I go in, and I always remember him. I had taken an article, and it was called... Uh, since which secondary impact syndrome mm-hmm. and it was an article on four five different deaths from a secondary impact syndrome four of them were boxers one was a hockey player mm-hmm. okay and i remember the first thing i did i sat down and i said slats i want you to take this article home don't read it now but take it home put it by your bathroom whatever sometime just read it okay i just want you to read it. but this is about brain injuries okay mm-hmm. head injuries and he he said uh, um you know, your concern. I said, well, yeah. I said, the fact that you were considering playing Arnie in Toronto, okay, back in February, you know that I would have resigned. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I didn't play him. He said, no, I didn't. But I said, the fact that you put that in my mind. I said, the thing is, Slatch, you don't understand. When it comes to head injuries, number one, I'm an epileptic. I had a head injury. I mm-hmm. understand head injuries, okay? I said, you don't, yeah. okay? Would you let a fence builder, okay, build you a house? Because that's what you were allowing. You were allowing our orthopedic surgeon mm-hmm. to make a decision on a head injury, okay? You don't do that, okay? You let the specialist make those decisions, okay? And I said, in, in Arnie's case, he should not even be considered a plane, right. stuff like that. And then Arnie says, well, he did. And I went, I know he did. He says, so let's continue on. I went, I was so nervous through this whole bit. I said, listen, that's I. Can I continue this tomorrow? Yeah. I was sweaty because I was down that this is what he's going to be, stuff like that. You know, and what what he had said, I can't remember the player who played. Detroit was playing that, that night, the night before in playoffs. A player had got dinged and he'd come out. 
uh, and he was out for a period. He came back in, he scores a winning goal, and Slats is telling me about this. What about this guy? I said, you know what, Slats? You don't think I know about head injuries? Mm-hmm. I did eight years of football, okay? Mm-hmm. You see football head injuries, okay? And I said then, I said, the fact that what you did back when Kevin had when his head injuries was, was terrible. Yeah. And he says, what do you mean? I said, when Kevin got knocked out in, in Chicago, in, uh, in Calgary four years ago, I said, and then two, three days later, I said, he came back on an airplane. I went and got him on a Saturday. On a Tuesday, you got him going for warm-up. Mm. I said, if it wasn't for Dr. Dave McGee, who phoned me and says, your brother's going out for warm-up. Kevin was smart enough realizing he got out in the ice and he started, was going to be sick. Yeah. yeah I said, I said, you allow him to play. We said, well, that was Dr. Cameron. Mm-hmm. I said, that's when he made it. That's Tim. And you would let a fence builder build your house, eh? Because that's basically what you're doing. Yeah. You know? And so I went, so that was my, my <laughs> You made your point with him. I clearly. made my point with Slats, but yeah. uh, he was, he was so easy to, you know, to talk to mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He has beliefs and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he questioned you on him, but he was a great general. I was fortunate. I had Norm Kimball at the Eskimos, who mm-hmm. was a lot like, a lot like Slats. Mm-hmm. And then Slats, I had two, probably the most successful general managers to work for. So I was, I was fortunate from mm-hmm. that. If you could only watch... Edmonton Oilers hockey or Edmonton Eskimos football for the rest of your life, which would you pick? To be honest, I don't watch much of it. (laughs) (laughs) Opt out, neither. I'd have to go hockey. I Mm. mean, I still, I'm I'm brighter with hockey and stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing gets me more excited than overtime hockey. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's pretty um, special. Yeah. If you could have worked in any other sports other than those two, which would you have wanted to work in? Hmm. Getting the same pay? No. <laughs> you know what? Uh, rugby was a lot like football. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to work with rugby because I did treat rugby players at university but I used to say he hated me for it but I said rugby were smart football players right that's the difference mm-hmm. okay you never saw a rugby player put his head down and run into him mm-hmm. okay they put their shoulder they tackled the shoulder so rugby would be interesting to see the injuries and stuff like that it'd be a real challenge just the same thing as yeah. as, as football is. Yeah. I, I think what you're coming back to is that it's it's the the injuries and the challenge of getting people healthy and getting them back I, i'm so bad in names as with names as you as you can see but i remember body part mm-hmm. i remember that person's <laughs> body part. i can't remember the name but i'll say so how's the knee doing yeah you know, I'll, I'll remember that you know yeah, yeah. that makes sense that's that's what's important that's yeah. what that's what you're that's what brings home the bread, so to speak, for you. And, yeah. and so it's, uh, well, it's quite a career you've lived. And it's, I'm excited for you that you're getting inducted this year to the Hall of Fame and, and uh, lots of exciting things happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you, you, you started that from the very beginning. You mean, like, the most excited, hey, every year getting up, it's every year is, 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 it's been exciting for me. I got no complaints whatsoever. Good. Well, we'll have to do round two once we do a post-mortem on this and figure out what stories we didn't cover. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate the time, Uncle Ken, hey. and uh, thanks so much. I'm, I'm so honored to be able to do it for you. And now that you've been on one, I think maybe maybe it's time that you listen to one. Because <laughs> I remember what you said to me last week. You, go, I, you know, I don't listen to your podcast because I don't listen to any podcast. <laughs> but if I did, yours would be the first one. So I appreciate that. Okay. And you, I never you, take offense to anyone who doesn't got, listen. You got, it, it's the same thing like... 
I have never, I've never read your brother. I've never read my brother's book. Yeah. You know, I. What know, if it was an audio book? Uh, you know what happened? I'd fall asleep. <laughs> we just got to put it on while you're driving. You don't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know that. That's that's what happens to me. I just, I don't. You know, my mind wanders. Yeah. And once it starts wandering, I'm done. Mm. And at my age, once it starts wandering, it's. Yeah. You know? yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so definitely, I, I will, I will definitely listen, listen to it. All right, that was a thrill, bud. Thanks for listening, everybody. The feedback and the kind words that I get about this podcast are always appreciated. Um, so thank you. Keep those coming. One final thing for today: uh, the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is happy to be partnering with Seat Giant to offer you a deal on tickets to major sporting events big concerts, popular theaters throughout North America, and more. Visit seatgiant.ca to find tickets. You can use the promo code APN at checkout to get 5% off your purchases. You'll save a bit, and the network here gets a little cut of that purchase too. Seat Giant is a Canadian-owned and operated, and it guarantees every ticket. So help yourself to a great experience while helping the Alberta Podcast Network and a Canadian-owned business. Visit SeatGiant.ca and use the offer code APN. Again, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next week. Ciao.